Policymakers in London and Washington are still looking to contain inflation, while China's economic growth appears sluggish. This is The Markets. Hi, I'm Sam Grobart. Today, I'm joined by Elizabeth Burton, a client investment strategist in the Client Solutions Group within Goldman Sachs Asset Management. We're going to talk about U.S. stock performance, China, and the latest from the Federal Reserve. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Sam. Elizabeth, I just introduced you with your title, but can you give us a sense of what being a client investment strategist in the client solutions group within asset management means? Definitely. So as a former allocator, I like to position myself as someone within our client solutions group that can think like an allocator and talk to our clients about how we're seeing peers allocate in the market and where we think the opportunities are given all the constraints that some of our largest clients face mostly within the U.S. public pension space. So right, when you talk about being an allocator, you're talking about those big public pensions and the like. Yes, exactly. Okay, perfect. Well, let's get right into it. This week so far, the S&P and the NASDAQ 100 have been in the green, and both of those indexes have had strong returns this year. Working with our larger investors like U.S. public pensions, what are you seeing from that cohort that may be playing into this performance? Right. So as you pointed out, our larger investors, institutional investors, tend to think about the markets differently. They don't focus necessarily on the day-to-day -day gyrations. They think about where the opportunities are over the long term. And over the last six months or so, they've been preparing for their upcoming fiscal year end, which just ended June 30th. And if you think about it, that's about $5 trillion at least in assets in the U.S. public pension space that are thinking about how they fit their benchmarks coming into the end of the year. So some of the flows into equities have probably been purely benchmark-oriented. They may have been underweight, contributing to private markets, and now they're trying to top back up. And it's much easier to get back to your benchmark weight in the public space than through private equity, private real estate, or private credit. One of the big topics in markets right now, if not everywhere, has been the, the rise of AI, of artificial intelligence. How are you looking at that factor, and where do you really see it going from here? I think a lot of people have classified this as AI enthusiasm, and certainly that is some of it. It's something to be optimistic about. But I think we should also consider the fact that some of the companies that are focused on AI and have been doing well are also these mega cap tech companies that have been able to hold up their margins, but also they make up a large part of benchmark indices like the S&P 500, like the NASDAQ, as you mentioned, has a pretty heavy tilt towards some of these technology names. So some of it may be AI, some of it may be benchmarks, some of it may be these are good companies, according to market participants. And what are some of the risks associated with the AI enthusiasm? What are you thinking about in that regard? Well, one thing that I like to think about is saying that you're interested in AI or that you like AI is sort of like saying you really like water. Okay, do you like to swim in water? Do you like to go on boats on water? Do you like to drink water? It's, it's a very generic term. So how do you want to be invested in AI? Do you want to be invested through exposure to the infrastructure, to the apps, to the tech? And some of these things are unlikely to materialize for some time. For example, the apps, it, that's likely a 12 to 24 month trajectory. Also, you want to make sure you diversify. You don't just invest in every single name that says they do AI. If you're running a pet shop and you say you do AI, it's much different than a large cap tech company. There will also be disruptors. I don't believe that this is going to be similar to a overhyped 
or bubble type of event because this is so ingrained already in our daily vernacular. And it is also much less potentially political or confusing as something like a Bitcoin might be, which is harder for investors and boards of public pension funds to kind of wrap their heads around, but also comes with ESG considerations. So I think for all those reasons, there's momentum behind this strategy, but I think there's also risk. Anytime there's an impact of disruption, you want to be thinking, what could this change? And what will this disrupt that we're not looking at? I'm old enough to remember, you know, when everything was a dot com. <laughs> Exactly. Pet stores included, quite (laughs) famously. Exactly. So, yeah, I guess you want to watch for that at the same time, be aware of and and seeking out those opportunities for disruption. On Wednesday afternoon, we got the minutes from the latest Fed meeting. What are the important takeaways for you? There wasn't a ton of reaction in the short term to the release. And I believe that was because it was pretty much in line with expectations and the market pricing for what they were expecting was going to come out of that meeting. The Fed staff did mention, I think most importantly, they saw the possibility of the economy avoiding a recession almost as likely as the mild recession baseline. And while we at Goldman Sachs have said that the recession is not our base case, and we've actually lowered that from about 33% to 25% in recent weeks, we haven't heard such a strong comment from the Fed on that, although the market is still pricing in the possibility of a recession. The second thing they mentioned that I thought was interesting was that the banking stresses had receded. But they do expect tighter credit conditions. So when I hear that as a former allocator, I think opportunity. If there's a tightness in one market, it usually means down the road there's going to be an opportunity for investors. I think the same can be said of commercial real estate. It looks challenging at the moment, but that means in a couple years, who knows, there may be an opportunity there. So from that economic picture in the U.S., let's take a look and pivot over to the U.K., where the U.K. just sold two-year bonds at the highest yield for that maturity since 1998. And the FTSE 100, meanwhile, is down about 1.5 percent this year. What is your take right now on that market? Our largest investors don't tend to have direct allocations to U.K. markets unless they're specifically located in the U.K. I think they tend to have a more global approach or more specific country exposure in Asian markets or emerging markets. But I do think that this is going to be a challenge for U.K. pension funds that are focused on LDI or liability-driven investing as they will likely face real return challenges with respect to achieving their benchmark returns. That was a concern here, I think, in the U.S., but really it's more of a focus in the U.K. as they've got persistent high-sticky inflation and they've had somewhat flattish returns, as you point out, in their equity markets year to date. Now, that index is very different, the FTSE 100, than some of the indices we were talking about earlier. And the consumer part seems to be holding up slightly better. So it's just it's hard to compare apples and oranges. But again, looking for the relative value, I think, is important. So, yeah, let's take a look at that global picture, which, of course, is quite varied around the globe. You have economic slowdown in China. You have differing central bank policy in Japan versus Europe versus the U.S. How are you looking at all of those things in combination? I believe that any time a major economy has a slowdown, it could be a risk to certain markets. I think we're also at the risk of a slowdown from Europe or U.S. for global markets. So I don't think it's only specific to China. From an opportunity perspective, it's unlike what we have really seen in the last 10 to 15 years with the ECB hiking in June, U.S. pause, 
China lowering rates recently, Japan leaving policy unchanged. We're all starting from different points. But for example, emerging markets tried to address inflation years before we did in certain cases. There's going to be a lot of divergence uh, in between rates and currencies, supply chain effects. So I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity for macro investment opportunities, which is potentially the reason why we've been hearing a lot of talk among our clients about global macro, hedge funds, multi-asset type strategies globally. Elizabeth, last question. What is going to be on your mind for the rest of the summer? Sure. So as I mentioned, we tend to think longer term with our larger investors. And one thing that I noticed is that the indicators that I have followed over my career have changed slightly. While I always cared about the labor market and the unemployment rate, I think it has become more important than other indicators in the past where I may have considered more U.S. dollar strength. And I think partly that is because it's a link to recessionary outcomes. But a lot of that depends on the job workers gap closing. We've seen it close from six to three million without incurring layoffs. And it may seem to the average investor, wow, I'm hearing a lot about layoffs in the market, but really we haven't seen that sort of trajectory play out, which means Fed policy may be working uh, for the meantime. But should we see any changes there in the labor market that look like they won't be filled by this gap, that could be indicative of a larger problem, especially if inflation remains higher sticky. Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. That does it for another episode of The Markets. Be sure to subscribe to our feed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sam Grobart. Thanks so much for listening. The opinions and views expressed in this program are not necessarily the opinions of Goldman Sachs or its affiliates. This program should not be copied or published without the express written consent of Goldman Sachs. Each brand mentioned in this program is the property of the company to which it relates and is not used to imply any ownership or license rights. Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, investment, accounting, or tax advice through this program. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this program. Our theme music was composed by Soundboard.